These proverbs are mainly concise sayings that give us an observation of people, people's thoughts, man's actions, a woman's speech, children's behavior, parental behavior. And uh, these are principles that show the difference between good and evil. The Bible says even a child is known <clears throat> by his deeds, whether they be good or evil, even a child. Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. Behavior usually shows the nature of the heart. And the Lord shows that we can opt to change our behavior by changing our attitudes, changing our thoughts by coming to the Word of God. Praise God. And here in Proverbs chapter 11, I'd like someone to read. We dealt with a couple of verses last time. You have uh, some 27 verses, I believe. Actually, 31. So, uh, three of you on the call can take turns. Someone please read 1 through 10. And the next person, you don't have to wait, please read right after them, 11 through 20. And the last individual, 21 to 31. Proverbs chapter 11. And if you can read slowly and clearly and loud enough, please. If you have a good connection, go ahead. Somebody, 1 through 10 of Proverbs 11. The next person, 11 through 20. And the last person, 21 through 31, please. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his ways aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perishes, there is jubilation. 
By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. I hold on, sorry. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. My my phone just went down from ten to eleven. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. He who is sure tie for us, stranger will suffer. But one who hates being short tie is secure. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pushes it to his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart are in abomination to the Lord. But the blameless in their ways are his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. As a right of coal in a swine's snout, so is a lonely woman who lacks this, this, this patience. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is one who scatters, yet increase more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who honestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? Praise the Lord. <coughs> so we, <coughs> we stopped at uh, just a couple of verses last time. We spoke much about 
two things, if you recall. Who can remember the two things that begin with H last time that we discussed just from the first couple of verses? It begins with H, two qualities that are indispensable. We must have them if we're going to know the way of righteousness and prosper before the Lord and make it to heaven, for that matter. Can anyone tell me what are the two virtues that we heard about last time? Both begin with H. Honesty and yes. humility. Amen. Honesty and humility. Now, I wonder if as we hear the Word of God, and we are honest when we hear it, we're able to gauge and uh, see whether we're actually doing certain things that we're hearing. It's possible that we can hear the Word of God for 30 years and have very little personal application. We all know that. It's very possible. Or even no application. And someone says, well, how do you do that? How do you go to church and hear the Word of God if it's a Bible-believing church, if it is a church worthy of its name, first of all, because there are many circuses masquerading as churches today, many, many circuses, where people go for entertainment, they go for a good time, they go for something that has no impact on their souls. Those are not churches, those are circuses. And they'll be judged on that day of judgment because they are mishandling and perverting the way of truth and giving the people what they want. Teachers that are giving what's suited for itching ears. But when you find a church, a Bible-believing church, and you find a man of God or woman of God that's preaching the truth, someone says, well, you're going for 30 years and there's no impact on your life. It's possible. It's possible. On a smaller scale, we had someone called Judas who was with Jesus for some three or three and a half years, maybe four years, maybe less than that. But he was actually in the company, for the intimate fellowship that only the Twelve Apostles knew, with the Word incarnate, carne, flesh, the Word become flesh. He was with the brightness of the glory of God, Jesus Christ. The express image of the invisible God. He was, in essence, hanging out with the one who made him and every human being on the face of the earth. The planets, the stars, everything was made by this deity, this God that was housed in human flesh for those 30 plus years. He had the privilege of lying down next to him, reclining, being close to him when he preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. How do you hear the word? Have no impact. But we know that he gave himself over to the devil. 
But we can say that since the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 in Acts chapter 2, God has been doing great and mighty revivals throughout the centuries. It hasn't been on a large scale all the time, but in every generation there has been revivals. Why? Because in every generation there's always a remnant. There are people that God can see as he scans the entire earth. He scans to the seven continents and he looks for souls. Even in Antarctica. Even where penguins live. Because there are visitors. Human visitors that go to such places of extreme temperature for adventure, for scientific purposes, but wherever man can be found. We can also say whoever has visited the moon among the few of the human population who has ventured out there as astronauts, scientists, and others who have the privilege of going into space, into orbit. The Almighty God who dwells in the highest heavens scans every heart. There's a continual scanning. And what the Lord is looking for is integrity, honesty, and humility. Because he will download and outpour his spirit on those who sincerely and humbly seek him. Every generation has remnant. Now we're in the, maybe the last generation, maybe the next to the last generation, I don't know. I don't know if it's one generation, two generations, couple of generations, but the time is coming very quick. We can see the signs everywhere in an unprecedented manner. People have been saying it for years, the signs everywhere. Even at the time that Israel became a nation, they said it's unthinkable. How, how does this happen? A wasteland, a veritable wasteland for all practical purposes uninhabited that land of Israel and the stories of King David and the stories of even Jesus many people say well just look at the land where all this was supposed to have happened look at it I don't see fig trees blossoming and olive groves and where is it it's all a barren wasteland a mirror image of many lives even our own before the God who speaks worlds and even light into existence came. The Lord just completely transformed our lives. But the point is that the revivals do happen and we're in a generation where the revival is very, very big happening right now. There's such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit across the world in spite of all the darkness, the dismal news and the fear and the panic the uncertainty, God is still on the throne. He's in perfect control. Hallelujah. The disciples, no matter what happened, as long as they were close to Jesus, there was no problem. Anytime fear came, the Lord stood up and destroyed the attack of Satan. And a holy peace came upon them. Situations changed. 
God did miracles. We're connected to the Lord by the Holy Spirit. And Christ is with us. He's able to still step into our situations and restore divine peace. But going back to the original question, how does one be in close proximity to Jesus? Other than the three in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, Judas had intimacy or close connection with God, the Son, on the days of his earthly pilgrimage, as much as any of the other eight disciples or seven disciples. Eight disciples, I should say. Judas being the ninth and the three other making up the twelve, James, John, and Peter. The three in the inner circle that was there, that were there in the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. And also, when the Lord did some amazing miracles in raising the dead, he called them and put the people out and called them in. And the parents the little girl that he raised from the dead. It's possible to be in a place where the word is preached, but I can guarantee you that it won't be 30 years in a spirit-filled church that a person can sit there, hear all the counsel of God and be a Judas. We're in an unprecedented time also. The greatest revival has begun. That's the truth. We see, Jesus, once again, we recall when John the Baptist, who was a firebrand for God, a man that ate locusts and wild honey, clothed with a leather girdle, rugged man, a very peculiar-looking person, peculiar sound of his message, and yet, he was found in the desert places. An entire region came to him, thousands upon thousands. The Holy Spirit drew them. This man that stood boldly against the threat of death and spoke righteousness even to the king and said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife shut away in prison. A very short but very vibrant prophetic reviving ministry. John the Baptist had and when he was in prison he became quite discouraged. It's very clear. Confused. He didn't understand the timeline. You see, not everything was revealed to him. But he did know that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He saw the Spirit descend like a dove upon him during the baptism when he baptized Jesus according to the will of God. And yet he was at a low point and he sent some of his disciples, his followers, to go and inquire and ask Jesus directly, are you, are you the one? I'm about to be executed and I don't see an overturn of Rome's rule over here. I see my people still in servitude and bondage to this foreign power. The God of Israel told me you're the Messiah. Are, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're looking for? What was Jesus' answer? He said, go and tell John. 
the things you've seen. The miracles are bounding everywhere. People are seeing who are blind, the dead are being raised, lepers cleansed, and all such things are happening. So the evidence that the Lord Jesus, and this is the point, that he pointed to, to the followers of John the Baptist, to go back and relay that message, to show John that I am the Messiah, were the anointed miracles that happened. So when you see a succession of miracles, such as we see in our midst in the church, by the grace of Almighty God, when you see tremendous miracles of all sorts, you know that the kingdom of God is here. Although the devil can counterfeit signs and wonders, he will never tell the truth that can change people's hearts. You can write that down. It'll be true forever because that's what we see in the Word of God. You can have counterfeit miracles. As Pastor Rub and I have said before, you can have miracles and signs and wonders in other religions and they do happen. But not the kind that causes a person to be absolutely free, spirit, soul, and body. Is a cleansing effect in the soul where the person is drawn closer to Jesus Christ and the life changes from the inside out. That is a miracle that is attributable only to the true and living God. Moses went to the palace in Egypt in front of Pharaoh. He took the rod and threw it down and it became a snake. The first time it happened when Moses stood before God, he fled from it because it was a poisonous snake, obviously. He was afraid. It was a beastly looking thing. And yet the Lord said, I want you to stretch forth the hand, catch it by the tail, and became a rod again. What a miracle. Moses went there with the confidence that I have the miracle. When he went there, lo and behold, when he threw that rod down and became a serpent, people stepped back in the palace. What is this? But then the magicians came. Magic. Beware of the word magic. Why? What's in a word? A lot can be in a word. Remember, words are containers that carry ideas, and ideas can come from either God or the devil. We don't want to have the word magic anywhere. I grew up ignorantly as a little child watching that magic garden, a show on TV, meant to help little ones learn social skills and some educational skills, but I since have seen there's nothing, nothing good about the word magic or magician in the Bible. The contrary is true. So when you see cartoons and cartoon characters and books and t-shirts, they say the magic of the moment, beware. The people may not know fully what they're doing, but you see, if it has an evil connotation in the Word of God, we know it refers to satanic activity. And people adopt it because the devil likes to take words and manipulate the meaning, usurp some of the original intended meaning and then put some other content in. And before you know it, people are confused. And they really don't know the difference between magic and miracles. They think it's about the same thing. 
some phenomenon that is extraordinary, no? Magic is not good. But the magicians, magic having the connotation of trickery, deceitfulness, sleight of hand, the miracle is real. Magic is an illusion. And so even the so-called lying, that's why it's called lying signs and wonders, it leads a person to what? Ultimate destruction. Many people in the occult, many people who dabble in the occult, I'm sure some of you have heard, many people playing simple games like Dungeons and Dragons. I remember growing up in the 80s and it was all the rage. All the kids playing this mystical, magical adventurous game, Dungeons and Dragons. And worse than that, or maybe equal to that, I don't know too much about it, but Ouija boards and all these things that have the magical element in it seems to be a fun thing on Friday evening or Saturday or after school or even in school. The kids will carry these things just as they used to carry the action figures from Star Wars and other films. So the kids also carry these things. What is the fascination? Well, it's a satanic fascination. Because as you study the lives of many people who have gone into the occult, you see invariably, just like hardcore drugs, nobody stumbles upon crack, whatever drug is out there that's equal to or worse to it, worse than that. Nobody goes into promiscuity, full-blown, becomes a prostitute, whether a quote-unquote professional or in their own homes. It doesn't happen overnight. How does it happen? It happens in increments. And Satan, that snake, he carefully watches and he sets up the baits to increase a person's delusion and fascination with his things, his stuff. It can start with a video game. It can start with even natural living, natural foods and holistic approach to life, have new age elements and all kinds of even Hinduism in there. And everything is a wonderful package. A person can be working in Wall Street or some expensive place and have all the acumen and the intellect shining success in his or her field but hooked on one of uh, any number of baits that Satan has, whether it's through alternative medicine and naturopathic approach to life, dabbling with certain music, drugs, occultic games, and we've seen plenty of people who began just with something like Dungeons and Dragons. seems to be a harmless game. It's just a game. You ought to know what your children are playing. Because while they're playing, they're being educated. And when Satan educates anyone through any one of his avenues that he has up his sleeve, he will indoctrinate them and take over their souls. We've seen it happen. We have heard testimonies of former Satanists who are actually doing bloody sacrifices somewhere, some remote place or even in their backyard. What is the fascination with sacrificing animals and blood and 
Well, it's satanic. You see the Baal worshippers and other worshippers worshipped Molech and all these people. You have everything in the Bible. The Word of God, not just the book of Proverbs, informs us to stay far away from anything that has even a hint of the devil's fingerprints on it. Pokemon. You should know what you or your children or your relatives are playing with. And whereas we can't speak directly to many people these days because they are hooked and they will fight if you try to give them counsel. We've been reading in the book of Proverbs, you tell a foolish person, a real fool, that's what the Proverbs says, wisdom. You get angry and begin to fight you. When you tell a wise person, they will take it and they will increase in learning. They'll say thank you and they'll start changing their lives. So we need to be led by the Spirit and pray for good ground before we speak, even in our own families. There can be a big battle over a video game, a huge battle over some game, a huge battle over a t-shirt, a huge battle over someone on some podcast somewhere that's speaking about herbs and spices. Now what on earth is wrong with herbs and spices? Nothing. God created herbs and spices. But when those things begin to have a religious flavor and there's a connection to yoga, connection to other holistic approach to life, an alternative this and alternative that, before you know it, you can have a very intelligent person. Otherwise, like one of the super group, the Beatles, or all four of them, in pop music history in the 70s, millions and millions of people at their feet, literally, idolizing them on top of their game with millions and millions of dollars. And uh, I used to listen to those guys, even though it was a little before my time. Really was taken by the harmonies and all these different things. Before I knew it, I was hooked. Just listening to it on the radio. My parents had no clue what was happening to me. Never got into drugs by God's grace or anything like that, but there's an effect because what the devil was wanting me to do is get more involved in them. And when I used to read the history of the LSD and different things and, and then them going to India, my native country, to be with some Maharishi or whatever they call it, some yogi. And this otherwise intelligent young group of men by that time, in the 30s, made that trek all the way to India because they wanted to be enlightened by this man that was touted as the guru. Otherwise, soft-spoken man, this yogi, it ended up that they saw clearly he was after their money and their wives. What else would we expect when anyone... And in fact, I heard a recording by that very same individual. He, says, he said, with that thick Indian accent, he said, when you see me, you're really seeing Jesus. That's what he said. No wonder. Satan transforms himself to an angel of light. 
and they came away disappointed. Why do people go all over the world to seek for the truth when the truth is Jesus? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Holy and blameless life, infinite power housed in the human body, not just a apparition, a ghost, not just doing a trick, magic, illusion, taking on a body, he became a human being. It's beyond any human imagination. The devil can mimic stories and he can gather maybe some archaeologists and some so-called PhD experts who are absolutely deluded and in bondage of Satan themselves to say, well, Africa had a story like this with the Son of God. In Egypt, you can find the sun god. In Hinduism, you can find in Pongal, as we know it, the celebration of both cultural and religious value to many Indians. It's quite connected to worship of the sun god also, among other gods. We can say, well, this predates Christianity by so many years, does it make it true? Is it the same thing? Is it possible the devil could have foreseen certain things from the prophecies? He has some partial knowledge. He doesn't have perfect knowledge. Could he have set up people and then in hindsight, quote-unquote, tell people, you see, I've met quite a number of people, not only Africans, but Indians and people from all over the world. One of their arguments is, well, the similar themes and concepts are found in my religion or what I am looking at. Does it make it true? Satan has many ways of hooking people and keeping them from the truth. But if uh, someone has an honest heart and a humble heart and will refuse to commit intellectual suicide, meaning begin arguing without looking objectively, taking a second look and a third look if necessary. I remember telling people when I evangelized many times when they used to come with these arguments, after I gave my testimony and told about the miracles God did, they didn't have much to say about that. And after I said more of the life of Jesus and the word of God and his atonement, his love, his power, his holiness, unique, and the fact that he said, I am the way, you don't have to look for the way. Muhammad pointed to some way, Buddha did, many people did. But he said, look no further, I am the way. Philip said, Lord, we, we've spent time with you now, could you just show us the Father? That'll be enough, Lord. Jesus looked at him and said, Philip, how long have I been with you? Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father... That Maharishi, or perhaps I'm saying it wrong, that Yogi, that told the Beatles and other people, his followers, when you see me, you see Jesus. He was an imposter. But Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. He's the truth. When there's honesty and humility, as I told people in the testimonies, I've told many of them, take a closer look at the Lord Jesus, I've told them. There's more than meets the eye to Jesus. 
There's more to him than meets the human eye. You need to come closer to God. Look objectively at the Word of God. You'll find the Bible to be unlike any other holy book, quote-unquote, out there. In many different ways. Not only the historical accuracy of many of the events and geography and rulers, but you'll find archaeology confirming through artifacts not making the Bible true, it's true already, but just confirming that yes, it, whatever it says, we can confirm it even in extra-biblical ways. The Christian doesn't look to that, but for the skeptic, they have more than enough evidence. The prophetic pronouncements from people that lived in certain eras, hundreds and thousands of years before the fact, particularly relating to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, some 330 prophecies or so. 330 predictions exactly about Jesus Christ. The majority already having come true. And the greatest proof that the Bible is the Word of God, the inward witness in the human soul and the ability to change a person completely from being a Satan worshiper. Incidentally, every person on the face of the earth, regardless of what religion, what pastime they espouse, no matter how civil or barbaric they appear, how forward or quote-unquote backward they appear, they're either a worshiper of God or Satan. A person doesn't need to be in a cult and perform rituals and sacrifices in their backyard or somewhere in order to be a Satan worshiper. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says in Second Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the hearts, the spiritual eyes of the people, lest the light of the glory of Christ should shine into them. They're blinded by the devil. What happens when the devil blinds people? He leads them on, right to the trap, to the ditch. And his whole intention is, I want to lead as many people as I can on, in the path of the fool who refuses the truth to take them straight to hell. The Lord stands there and he says, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill and destroy. It's the devil. But I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. Getting back to Proverbs chapter 11, honesty and humility, the connection here is that a person can sit under the Bible being preached for 30 years. But when the anointing of God is there, the kingdom of God is in their midst, miracles are abounding, the Spirit of God is extremely active, the person cannot sit there for long unless the person begins to change. That's why you'll see people come to places, not a lot of them, comparatively, to the amount of churches out there in the world. But uh, relatively few places. It's not a single place, but relatively few, where the Spirit of God is extremely active. What did Jesus tell the followers of John the Baptist? You want to know if I'm the Messiah? Go tell John what you've seen. Tell him about the miracles. There's no doubt. The kingdom of God is among you. Jesus said in another occasion, on another occasion, 
If I, by the finger of God, do cast out devils, the kingdom of God has come among you. Moses' rod that became a serpent swallowed up all the other serpents the magicians conjured up. What they did was not an illusion in the sense that it was real. Because Moses' serpent didn't swallow up something that wasn't real. It wouldn't make any sense. However, it's an illusion in the sense that it's inferior and before God, it'll vanish. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Our lives were full of leprosy, oozing out of every part of our human soul. Wickedness and evil thoughts and vengefulness and bitterness and living to do evil, some of us, in a very calculated manner. And others, apparently passive, but still, worshipping who? If not God, has to be the devil doing his bidding, maybe after materialism, after immorality, <clears throat> whatever it is. But when God shows up in our lives, Satan vanishes. Sin vanishes. Hallelujah. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and a complete turnaround happens in our lives. That's the power, superiority, supremacy of the living God. Whatever Satan does that is so real when people are strung out on drugs, sleeping by the gutter with blood coming out of their ears, their mouths. No one can say that isn't real. Oh, that's the devil's work. It's an illusion. No, there's real suffering and real bondage. But when God shows up, it appears like an illusion. It vanishes. That same person, all of a sudden, it's transformed, no desire for drugs, no more sleeping by the sewer, healthy and whole, full of love, concern for one's neighbor. And even if one can't talk to the neighbor because of the hostility, there's a heart's cry to God, oh, save my neighbor. Not because I'm holier than them, or I want them to join my club, but because I realize without Jesus they're going to hell. And how can I be a neighbor to my neighbor if I don't intercede with a burden that they should come to know Jesus? The Bible says right here in Proverbs 11, one should not despise who? One's neighbor. A hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. Verse 9. There's a concern. So in conclusion to this portion of what the Lord has been speaking. When a genuine revival is underway, as it is right in our midst, people can't sit long if they're not with the program of God. Some places, I've heard more than one person. In fact, we ourselves relate this and preach this. The program cannot save anyone. But we're talking about God's program. In that sense, that is His purpose and His plan. You know what God's plan is? To set the captives free. Anywhere Jesus shows up, His mission is, I hate to see people in bondage to the devil. 
I'm fiercely against Satan. The Bible says Jesus went around or went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by this tyrant, the devil. Wisdom from God will set a person free. Way back in the beginning today, the question was posed. As we hear the word of God, even in the book of Proverbs, can we actually say that it's changing my life? And it can vary, could it not? A person can hear Proverbs chapter 1 and say, Oh, my Lord, fall on their face. I haven't valued your wisdom. I'm still fighting with my spouse or my children. I'm still bitter and if somebody does me wrong, I hold a grudge and it's bothering me. But I don't deal with it. When I look at the grass on the other side, it looks so green and I'm just taken by it and I wish I could have that. Covetousness has not been dealt with. But I read my Bible, go to church and do all these things. There are those who would take every word of God to heart and say, I've got to change. Not one day am I going to let God speak to me and not respond with repentance wherever it's necessary. That is an honest and humble heart who will see fruit from the word of God that they hear and read every day come about in their lives. Now, there can be an in-between of sorts between the two extremes. One who reads and reads and reads can maybe publish their own cliff notes, their summaries of the book of Proverbs and even highlight verses and divide it and uh, organize it, but continues to be foolish. It would be a tremendous grief to the heart of God. Why did I even give them the Proverbs? There's no change. The other extreme, good one, the best one, every syllable God speaks, every word. Eager to hear, am I a wise woman? Am I a woman of graciousness? Do I retain honor? Am I a man that is humble, holy? Am I a man that doesn't go into debt so easily and make deals and take risks that are worldly? Am I a person that a woman, man that doesn't gossip, reveal secrets. The Spirit of God will show how these things apply. Sometimes people take the statements in Proverbs and they may misapply it and become legalistic and make it to mean something that it doesn't mean and find fault with righteous people and God has to step up and say, why are you accusing Job? He's righteous. Those four friends, the three and the youngest one, the fourth, they all spoke. And quite a bit of the content of what they spoke in their discourse, when you look at Job, were actually true. But some other elements were added in to make the whole thing a mess. It's important for us to have accurate understanding of every word of God. Otherwise, the whole thing becomes distorted and become a mess. We need the Holy Spirit, but we've got to be honest and humble. God won't teach the proud. He won't. And He won't teach people who lie, try to present an image before God. Imagine that. 
trying to put up a front and image before God who sees our hearts through and through every second. But when we come to God humbly and honestly, honestly, it begins to cause us to, maybe by degrees and gradients, if you will, take that coarse, hard heart, begin to polish it and smooth it, and before you know it, it becomes a heart of flesh, able to receive every word of God. He plows by the Spirit of God through the heart and through the Word, and that which is uncultivatable, that which is hard, God can break up the fallow ground. All of a sudden, as many of you have experienced over the past couple of years, the seed is actually able to be planted, the implanted word, and the crops are coming up. What are, what are the crops? What is the fruit? All of a sudden, I'm able to forgive people that I said to myself, I could not and I would not forgive them. I will carry that vengeance to the grave as if we're harming other people when really the destruction is happening to our own human soul. All of a sudden we can find that we can forgive people. The fruit of hearing the word of God, the wisdom of God, all of a sudden I can check my habits. Are they clean or are they unclean? I dare say, God can even help you look at your physical habits. Let me give you a case in point. person is used, perhaps it's an extreme case, but used to drinking from cups that are not washed properly. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with spirituality? Washing dishes? Let me illustrate further. A person can take a cup that is not washed properly and say, oh well, I'm going to drink from it again. And uh, it's not cleansed, so whatever they put in is going to mix with whatever was left behind. And it's not necessarily a sin before God. When it becomes sin is when the truth comes and counsel comes from someone somewhere. You know this is dirty and it's not healthy. I'm telling you because I care about you. Just You can clean it better. Are you not able to see it or... Maybe the person's vision is not good. But if the person is honest and humble, they hear this counsel, you know, they're right. I'm just a little sloppy and I neglect this. I'm going to turn around and wash it better. It's going to take me another minute. I want to be healthy. See the application? It's not going to mean the difference between heaven and hell necessarily, but you see the attitude it reflects whether I will defy the truth and good counsel for my own benefit, just like God speaks the Proverbs to us, or I can continue on my own way and say, ah, I don't care, and perhaps the person will suffer for that. Sometimes they appear to get away with it, but the human body is a limited vehicle, if you will. If you put the wrong stuff in it, like a car with an automobile, eventually... It's going to show something's going to be not right. And why abuse the body? Even a small example like that. 
this is why I believe missionaries when they go to other places and I would venture to say that we need a lot of that here as well there's an adage that says godliness is next to cleanliness and it's true to a certain extent demons like to inhabit dirty and messy places that's their nature that's why they're called unclean they're a lot more than just immorality isn't it true that snakes and other undesirable predators and creatures they congregate under piles of rubble and wherever they can seek cover to be poised for their next victim so with our lives that wisdom goes deep into every aspect of our lives a wise person's diet changes especially spiritually you see the more we apply God's truth the more he will give Jesus said to him that has to the woman that has when God gives more will be given but the one who treats it casually and says oh I can allow these things to just slip I mean it's like music in my ears but eventually I switch to a different song and I forget whoever looks at the word of God and doesn't obey it Jesus said through the Holy Spirit or through the Apostle James inspired by the Holy Spirit the Word of God says is like a man who saw himself his reflection in the mirror and walked away and forgot immediately what he looked like what's the use you might as well not look at the mirror right there's a purpose for which people look in the mirror we know what it is a couple of reasons it could be sheer vanity or it could be I want to be presentable and I don't want anything that shouldn't be there on my face maybe I want to fix my hair and so on it's wrong to be obsessed with a mirror and looking in the mirror it's wrong that becomes an idol but to look at it from time to time to make sure we're presentable and neat looking especially for the glory of God it's a good thing but if a person looks at it and doesn't do anything about it what's the use of looking into it so the word of God we look at the word of God again the Lord has brought out in greater measure I believe the utmost importance of honesty to say God is speaking to me I've got to make changes and humility I will submit myself to the counsel of the Most High God the danger of listening to messages sometimes if people tuned in late or hear a portion of it you can uh, get a skewed and distorted version of the actual message person may tune in and hear the part about the dirty cup and changing habits and think what is this but when you listen to it in context of course we'll understand any counsel that we get any counsel you can check yourself to see whether you're a humble person honest or not by the way you respond your attitude even before the action the attitude matters that's what God is after because a person can say oh well you told me to wash the cup I'm going to wash it I don't like it but I'll do it because I don't want to, my conscience to get the better of me well the work is not completely done that person because the attitude is wrong 
we want the attitude and the action to be right, a humble person will say, stop. You know, they have this saying for people crossing the streets, I don't know if the commercial is still going, but stop, look and listen, if I remember correctly. You come to the intersection or the street, you have to cross the highway or the road, whatever. Not the highway, but the local roads. Stop, look, listen. That's a fair picture, fair illustration of humility to save one's life. And even more so, the soul. When God speaks, we have to stop ourselves. Don't talk. Don't bring opinions. And I, this, we need to learn to keep quiet. And again, some people may be quiet on the outside, but they're talking a whole lot on the inside. It's like that child that uh, the mother said, Johnny, you've, you've done wrong. You've disobeyed mom and dad. You've got to go sit in the corner now. The little guy sits there in the corner on that stool, defiant look on his face. Did he obey? Did he sit down? Yes, but he's got his arms crossed. And he says with his expression, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, Mom. You got me to sit down on the outside. It looks like compliance, doesn't it? But guess what? I'm standing up on the inside. Attitude is totally wrong. The integrity means a uniformity. There's a consistency between the action and the attitude. We come to the Lord and say, Lord, you really speak. Boy, have you found out every nook and corner. You see me for what I am. I am a mess. If that's the case, the confession that I'm a mess, to confess the mess, will lead to us being blessed. Saying, Lord, change me. My attitude stinks. When I hear counsel, I may smile on the outside, but inside there's a volcano. Who are you to tell me, and what is this, and all, all flustered, and shoulders heaving up and down on the inside, huffing and puffing. Thank God, God has changed us. Praise God. That we're able to do what? Come to an intersection in our lives, even day to day, where God speaks and stop. If I stop and I'm talking and babbling and have headphones on, will I be able to listen? Or even look properly? No, there'll be distractions. So the implication is when I stop, everything ceases and I'm all ears. I'm able to be a, a good disciple, good student, and say, Lord, teach me. The channel is clear. There's no interference. There's no obstruction. And I'm able to look carefully and cleanly into the Word of God. What does a gracious woman look like in the sight of God? Well, in verse 16 again it says, A woman that retains honor. A good, wise woman that wins honor, honorable woman noble woman, if you will, a woman that has a humble and holy attitude, 
way down and inside, doesn't look for gain for herself, doesn't look to show off what she has. A woman has the beauty who has the beauty of Jesus Christ. Decent, honorable, holy, generous, kind. That's a gracious woman in the sight of God. We look at that, inspect every element. Am I this? I can choose to gloss over it. A wise man, a man who holds back his words and doesn't keep yapping. Because in the multitude of words, sin won't be lacking. I can look at that and say, do I speak a lot more than I should? That impulsivity in speech is, can be a dangerous thing. On the one hand, it can affect others negatively and court sin. On the other hand, it effectively blocks me from being able to hear. Especially when it comes to the presence of God and the Word of God. A wise person is kind to the neighbor. There are people who despise the neighbor, even brothers and sisters in the household of faith. Beware. Will Satan come around to every one of us to knock on the door and see whether we will buy his wares? Much like people used to go door to door selling vacuum cleaning agents or different solutions and bottle of this and bottle of that. Door to door salesmen. Well, Satan goes door to door to every one of us, you and me. He knocks from time to time. And the people who are hard hearted before God and dishonest even people who go to church and hold the Bible even read it he knows you're fooling yourself so I'll come more often at your door because you are welcoming me all the time what does he bring what does he sell despise the brother or sister look at him look at her look at that noise that person's making you really need to make that much noise in a church service I mean it's distracting and disgusting. Truth be told, these are the sentiments going through people's hearts sometimes. God will stand up and say, who are you to judge my child? Who could be worshipping me with everything within them? Or crying out to me like blind Bartimaeus and everybody said, shut your mouth, please. And he kept on crying and Jesus healed him and blessed him. He gave him honor on the spot. And others say, oh, this testimony is going on and on. How long will this person talk? Do I have to know every detail of every day of their lives? Let's get on with the word, please. I want to hear the preaching. That testimony someone has sincerely spoken with all their hearts, having been delivered from so many bondages of Satan, is giving glory to God, who you say you want to hear from. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, whoever praises me, glorifies me. A testimony, a true testimony, worthy of its name, is to give glory to God. So a wise person will read the Proverbs and say, do I despise my neighbor? Do I belittle them? Do, do I begin to make judgments, value judgments? This one's okay, that one's not okay. Who am I? Like the man who went to the temple and said, Oh Lord, I tithe so and so and I do this and that. And he looked at the guy next to him who had his head hanging low. So-called sinner. 
and he despised them, and he actually said it in a prayer. Now, people may not say it in a prayer, but they certainly have the attitude. Thank God I'm not like this guy next to me. Look at him. What's he even doing standing here next to me in church? And that person wouldn't even lift his head but beat his chest in true contrition and penitence and repentance. He said, oh Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I'm not worthy. Like the prodigal son, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me just be a servant somewhere. What did the Lord say? He said that second man went home justified rather than the first. Be careful when the devil knocks at your door to try to get you to buy his goods, which are really bads. What is that? Pride. Thinking I'm better than the next one. Look at my dress and look at her dress. Look at my suit, my shoes, and look at his suit and his shoes. Look at my hair and look at his lack of hair or unkempt hair. These are the little things that will overthrow big people to always be humble and always be careful not to judge other people unrighteously despise people we have to check ourselves you see one of the secrets of the Christian life successful Christian life is we have got to talk to ourselves somebody said this years ago many people have said this actually who have actually gotten close to the heart of God we've got to talk to ourselves there's a part of us that is the spirit, another part that is the flesh. And if you don't shut down the flesh and keep it crucified, it'll keep rearing its ugly head and try to manipulate our whole life and personality. It's not a fearful thing. It's not a thing that we need to be worried about. The word comes and light comes, darkness goes, that's all. But if I resist that light, and I keep taking the light, taking the light, but there's a barrier, it never gets into my system. Guess what's going to rain, really? No matter how many times I read the Proverbs, I hear it, or read the Bible, or go to church, or tithe, and come to Bible school. There'll be darkness in that part of my life. It's a very dangerous thing. And to say, Father, every counsel I get, oh, I want to be the type, immediately I put it into practice. Change my heart, change my attitude, Lord. So the Proverbs, in essence, come first and foremost from the mouth of Almighty God. It says from his mouth he lays up sound wisdom. That causes our whole heart and attitude to change. So how can you have this great report card from God as we're in the school of Christ every day in the word of God? How can you get a report card that is all ease, excellence or hundreds from God? Ultimately all that matters is a report card that comes from God. The way to get it is to be absolutely honest, absolutely humble. Where I can happily gauge my progress. You know, when I started in the book of Proverbs and the study together, certain things I see that I just let go. I, I didn't really pay attention, but now I see God takes it so seriously. My attitude matters in everything before God. And my actions and my words. And I'm seeing a change. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm not satisfied in the sense that I want more change. Oh, Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Somebody says, oh, do, you gotta, do you have to keep struggling like that? I mean, 
you never seem to be satisfied. That's the devil's perversion of the truth. Every time I look at you, you're always striving for more like Jesus, and I don't see you relaxed. Well, that's the perception and the pronouncement of Satan who wants us to stop our progress in this pilgrimage before God. The truth of the matter is, there's a deep, genuine satisfaction that the Lord has brought me to this spot where I can see the change. Thank you, Lord. But there's an eagerness like an athlete who would go to an athlete and say, why are you running every morning? Every time I look outside the window, rain or shine, here he goes running. What's he trying to prove, huh? This person makes me look like I'm out of shape all the time. There he is. There she is. Well, when that same individual stands there on the Olympic stand and gets that gold, then we'll understand why that person was running. And why it was foolish to even approach that person or think, why don't you give yourself a break? I mean, take a couple of weeks off, enjoy life, smell the roses, stop. And there's a goal in, in our heavenly goal to please the Lord and be transformed to win the crown of life that will never fade away. Paul says, I run, I beat, I, I box, actually. He says, I fight, not as beating the air. It's a real battle to overcome everything that stands in my way of that crown. And so in Revelation, the Lord Jesus says, see that no man takes your crown. It's a good thing to press. And as someone prayed yesterday with the weights, every time we read the Word of God, we hear the Word of God, truly preached. We need to understand God is looking for an increase to give us. The one who's lazy and said, I lifted 10 pounds yesterday, last week, and last year. 10 pounds, 10 reps, repetitions. Here I go again. No goal, no vision, no understanding. The person who lifts those 10 pounds starts paying attention. My muscle tone is improving and I, I see I can get more. Look at that individual there. They're more in earnest and look at their development in their healthy lifestyle. Not for vanity, but the health. Look at their flexibility and I see they have less injuries and maybe I need to pay more attention to certain things and begin to refine because there's a progress in mind. I want to grow in this endeavor. I want there to be profit. Why do people check the stock markets and all these things continually? Is it because they are restless individuals? Could be. Could be in that regard. But there are good people who check the interest on their bank statements and see where's the better deal. Can you say while well, you're restless and why don't you take a break from checking those statements and calling this bank and that bank and just watch TV for a month. Don't do anything. Now I'm really living. Well, that's what the world will say. The devil will say that. Really living is sitting somewhere by a poolside and drinking your favorite drink. Being lazy. There's a time to rest, time to enjoy what God gives, but a continuous pursuit of that without doing what's needed to have progress. Many people in the world or not as foolish as that. 
they do take care of the responsibilities, what the kids need, what the spouse needs, what they need, what the family needs to go forward financially. In other ways, the Spirit of God comes and says, the most important possession you have is your soul. Make sure there's a progress in your soul. And that's the conclusion of the matter. You haven't gotten through this chapter again for the second day. But very quickly, I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. And let's hear the Word of God as we conclude. Proverbs chapter 11. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but He delights in accurate weights. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. When the wicked die, their hopes die with them, for they rely on their own feeble strength. The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. With their words, the godless destroy their friends, but knowledge will rescue the righteous. The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They will shout for joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper, but the talk of the wicked tears it apart. Quite a few verses already about speech. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. What an exercise in self-control when we're able to hold back and we couldn't slip in this area more easily than we think because we don't understand what's going on and how important it is to weigh our words. And I want to encourage everyone, whatever you have seen in yourself, where you see I'm falling short in this area, all we have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'll pay better attention to this area. Help me, Lord. I want to please and honor you. God is so quick to come and forgive us and bless us and strengthen us and encourage us and give us victory in that area. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. The implication, of course, is that the advisors are wise. There is danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It is safer not to guarantee another person's debt.
We've discussed it before. When God leads, it's a different story. But these are people who are impulsive and in the name of being nice and loving, they're not wise. It's not real love because you love your neighbor as you love who? Who can answer that this morning? Love your neighbor as you love God, yourself. Yes, sir. Yes. Certainly, we ought to love them with the love of God. When you look at the whole of the Bible, absolutely. A person who says he loves God must love his brother or sister. Her brother or sister. The love of God is what God is looking for. Agape love. But the Lord says very specifically also, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, if I don't care about my welfare, whether I go to jail or not, whether I'm in bondage to somebody because of some nice thing I did for somebody, I really am not loving them the way God wants me to love them. It says here, a gracious woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Now, several translations say that. In the King James Version, it says that strong men retain riches. Strong men retain riches. Can somebody tell me what the New King James says, please? Proverbs eleven sixteen. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. Yes. And so, you'll find that different versions sometimes seem to conflict. And there are people who otherwise have a lot to say on different Proverbs, but when it comes here to here, they, they don't say much. It could be ambiguous for them. The original language. But it could be possible that is speaking about good men who are wise and they don't lose what they have. They retain it. They're not gamblers. Especially in the ancient culture, it's the men that went out and worked. Even though Proverbs 31 has a different kind of woman that is uh, excellent at home and in the field. But essentially the men went out and labored. And so they're the ones that had the access and the ability to accumulate for the family, but essentially they did it. If the woman is seeking to be honorable in her actions or attitude, just speak of nobility. A wise woman builds up her house, the foolish one destroys it. A woman maybe who was foolish becomes wise now and begins to see you know how a lot of housewives and women, they may collect coupons. Families collect coupons, used to be at least. Used to be clipping away, have scissors just for that and the papers. Cut a whole bunch of coupons and go to the register in the shopping mall. How many of you remember that? In the grocery store. Stack full of coupons. Coupon for this, coupon for that. Wow, what a saying. What a saving. Why? Because they want to retain their money. They don't want to let it go for nothing, when I can save, it's a wise thing to do. Well, the wisest thing a woman can do is to save up honor, store up treasure in heaven by doing right things before God. 
being a wise wife if she's married, a wise mother if she's a mother, a wise daughter in the home if she's a daughter, a wise daughter of God, wherever she is, whatever her station in life is, retaining honor. Strong men retain riches. Perhaps the reason they translate it as ruthless men is because the verses surrounding it as many of them contrast wise with the foolish or good with the evil. But we've looked at verses before that have a continuum on the same issue of either folly or righteousness. There's no contrast in that verse. We've seen that before recently. It could mean that the man was wise, retains what is good, doesn't let it go. And in this case, riches. All the other translations say opposite. And there are sometimes when I read the scriptures and I don't see the justification for the translations, we need to be open. That's why I say it might mean, not 100% certain, but I, I, I don't take what the others say just because it's translated like that. These are one of those places that uh, we need to, at least for myself, I'm open to the Lord until He gives certainty on certain things. But, certainty on certain things, no pun intended. Certainty, certainty on uh, some, some verses. But we can see that whatever the interpretation, we find support for either one in the rest of the scripture. That is, People who are violent and ruthless, they're after money. That's true. Many times you see, they won't stop at anything to get money. They'll even kill people. It's a sad reality. But also those who are wise, like the ant, they'll gather up in winter what they need. That is, in summer, what they need for winter. So there's a retention there. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The merciful man does good for his own soul, but the cruel one troubles his own flesh. What is it saying? When you show mercy to others, like forgiveness, you come out of your own prison. But if you don't, when you think that they're in the prison, I hold this against them, we remain in trouble ourselves. Our hearts are not right. It's a sick feeling to try to appear happy and satisfied on the outside. Meanwhile, harbor grudges and bitterness and despising people a whole bunch of evil inside the heart, but dressed neatly and impeccably, handsome or gorgeous or whatever they say for men and women, just the right vehicle and right shoes and right posture and right perfume or cologne and mannerisms. Wow, this person, this man and woman is a winner. Look at them. Meanwhile, God may see a jewel of gold in a pig's snout as we'll read in the scriptures later in verse 22 as a ring of gold as a ring of gold in a pig or swine's snout we're not talking about a 
one of these uh, pigs that they have in the cartoons, all pink and cute and tidied. Swine, a gross-looking thing. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks wisdom, discretion. The actual word, if you see the translation, is taste. I'm not talking about the taste in clothing or taste in vehicles and taste in this or that. It's talking about taste for righteousness and goodness and that which is wise. In Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1, Ecclesiastes also written by Solomon, it says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it it to give off a foul odor. That's the same way a little foolishness is to one who is respected for wisdom and honor. If I'm a Christian, there's a certain standard that God has for my actions and my attitude. When I refuse the Word of God and refuse to change in the areas that the Spirit of God points to in my heart, then whatever goodness I seem to have, like a perfume that is so sweet, people just love that perfume. I mean, it's absolutely delightful, but when you have dead flies in that bottle, what do you suppose that person's going to spray on themselves that morning when the dead flies are inside? It's an admixture that which is sweet, that which is decaying. It's going to produce a stink. The chemistry has changed. This is the effect of a little foolishness. Like that glass of crystal clear, pristine water. Pure spring water. And one little drop of ink contacting the surface of that water, descending and diffusing into the whole of that water, completely contaminated. Just one drop against hundreds of drops of water contained in that glass is enough to defile the whole thing. So a woman that is fair, good-looking, well-dressed, lovely, charming, if she doesn't have wisdom, the wisdom of God in her heart, she's like a, a gold ring. And people say, where is it? I'm going to get my hands on that gold ring. Uh, it's in the snout of that wild hog over there. Making those scary, frightening sounds full of disgusting mud. Just looks horrible the teeth sticking out and making that horrible noise and I'm not going near there to get that little ring of gold. This is the description God has and we can apply that to men as well, boys and girls. God says you can be all that, quote unquote, in the eyes of the world, eyes of your friends, eyes of your boss, your colleagues, Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. No matter what you've got. Jesus said, that's not life. 
What I'm looking for is where is your heart at? For where your heart is, that is where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When I love wisdom, I say, Lord, even if I look sloppy today, not that I'm intending to look sloppy, but if I'm caught sloppy looking, maybe I'm sick, maybe I'm not able to do something that I usually do to groom myself. Maybe I forgot this or forgot that, and here I go, off to work, off to school. How much weight do I put on my appearance on the outside compared to my appearance on the inside before God? That's discretion. When the inside matters to me, far more than the outside. As we preach often, Pascal and I, the outside does matter. Let no one think that. I can be poor and disheveled and have holes in all my clothing when I have the means to get stuff. We don't despise people who don't have. We love them. Because but for the grace of God, go I. Anyone can be homeless in a moment, isn't it true? Because it doesn't necessarily mean how much money I have in the bank. It may be a fire. In the middle of the night, all of a sudden, guess who's homeless? Maybe the one who despised the homeless. But how much value do I place on the inside? God is looking at that. And I, as I preach this, I have to answer to God for myself. And I'm glad when the book of Proverbs, and we read the word of God, we preach the word of God, because it gives me the opportunity to consider where am I? It's a wonderful thing. Not only for people who need to repent to repent. If I need to repent, I must repent as I hear it. If I'm already walking the way of righteousness, it keeps me polished as a wonderful instrument ready for the Master's use. No deviation, no contamination with that which is false and abominable before God, but having integrity, honesty and humility. Keeping myself fit. Isn't that a different attitude? The world and the devil and those who charge people who want to be righteous with legalism and you're this and think you're holier than thou and all these things. Hey, say all you want. I'm here to please my Savior, not you. When you're against my Savior. Two ways of looking at it. Why are you huffing and puffing and struggling to be perfect and this and that? Can't you know? Don't you know that it's... it's a, Walking on eggshells all the time. You have to be so careful with every little thing that comes into your house, in your eyes, in your ears, all oh, this life. It's so hard. It's only hard for the hard-hearted individual who doesn't want to listen to God's counsel. But on the other hand, the person who says, the instrument is beautiful by God's grace. He has washed me with his blood and his word continues to refine me. And I want to stay polished, that golden vessel that my father will reach for when he wants to use me. I'm ready in the way of righteousness. In verse 17, the merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life, but he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. But the blameless in their walk are his delight. 
Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. Can you take this verse for your children? Glory be to God, right here nestled in Proverbs 11 is a promise for your people. Some versions say the multitude. Some versions say the seed and descendants. Well, if you have kids, you have a little multitude yourself. God says, I will bless them. I'll revive them. Who? Whose seed? The one who's righteous in the sight of God, who's walking with God. I can take this in many verses in prayer and say, Lord, oh Father, here am I. If you're single, you can pray for yourself as a single parent. If you have your spouse, say, here are we. We're pursuing you, Lord, like Zacharias and Elizabeth. Like Anna the prophetess, single, widowed, serving God day and night with fastings and prayers in the temple. Oh, how beautiful that woman was in the sight of God. How beautiful she is to us. That beauty attracts me. Whether it's man or woman. As David said, I'm a lover of good men. What does he mean? Those who are noble and upright, who love God, they're beautiful in God's sight, beautiful in my sight. All the values are changed. Godliness is attractive to God and to God's people. Anna was there serving God. If she had seed, if she had descendants, certainly they would have been tremendously blessed. If Simon, Simeon, the old prophet who came into the temple and held the baby, prophesied over him, knew this is the salvation of God. The seed will be blessed. Once more, as a jewel of gold and a swine's snout, so is a fair woman, which is without discretion utterly revolting and disgusting in the sight of God. And eventually it will come out to people. They'll see. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than he or she should, but it leads to poverty. Speaking of greediness, the person that says, I, I, I feel bad when I give away this and give away that penny pinchers and misers and very, very calculating in what they give to God. As I said before, not one cent over that 10% requirement, not one cent over this. And if I'm called to help a neighbor, I start really thinking, you know what? Do I really need to get this clothing for them if they're out of their house by some accident, some misfortune? Where's the cheapest thing I can get? God says, will you do that for yourself? When you buy clothing, when you buy things, even such as a basic necessities. Some people may say, yes, I do. Matter of fact, I'm cheap on myself. And 
Maybe that's why I suffer with broken things. I have to buy it again and again. Well, God says don't be like that. Do what's wise. Sometimes things that are of good value as a product may cost more and we can't be charged with being greedy. It's uh, durable. Maybe a wiser decision to get that. Even in the case of a vehicle, no one can judge immediately, hey, this person has such and such a vehicle, they're too much, they're trying to show off. It may be true, it may not be true. And maybe the person looks at a certain vehicle that uh, ranks high as a maybe higher end this or that, whatever it is. We understand the point. That may have the greatest scores in durability and performance, reliability. Can I judge face value? But when we're called to help other people, how do we actually look at them and how do we deliver? Do we really value them? Do we have a change of heart? That I really ought to do the best that I can before the Lord. It doesn't mean you go and buy the most expensive thing to show that I'm doing the best. No, not necessarily. We need the wisdom of God. Sometimes the better things can be cheaper. You see? Let God's Spirit guide us and let us have what? Honesty and humility. All will be well. The liberal soul shall be made fat. The generous person shall be enriched. Will prosper. And he who waters shall himself be watered. When you seek to help other people, God says, I'll help you. The people will curse him who holds back grain. And parenthetically, it says in the Amplified Version, when the public needs it. But a blessing is upon the head of him who sells it. He who diligently, and for that matter, it's anyone, not just the public. We can see this readily in a political situation, in a governmental situation, but what about your neighbors? What about your family who needs, really needs? Am I holding back, as it says in the Proverbs again, do I withhold good from him to whom it is due when I have it right with me and I say, come back tomorrow? That's a sin against God, before God. During the revival, let me say this as we close in a few verses. One of the greatest revivals in the 1800s under a man named Charles Finney, a brilliant attorney turned revivalist, evangelist. Hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. Hundreds of thousands, coast to coast in America and in England also and other places. Even long after he died, I've read accounts. Such was the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in that man. He came close to death. Almost as soon as he made the decision to give his entire ability that God has given him. Up and coming brilliant lawyer to serving God full time preaching the gospel. There's a consumption that came a plague right in New York. 1830s or 40s. And he said he would hear the death bell ringing. Bodies carried all hours of the day and night. He said, I was not afraid. Young man, just in his 30s. 
as soon as he got married, he told his wife, my dear, God is calling me to preach in this part of the state or another state. I'll be back in one week's time. And it took months, I think, or several weeks at least, because the revival kept growing. Multitudes came into heaven, into the kingdom of God, I should say. He honored God and he loved God. He loved his wife. But his priorities were in order. And his wife, being a noble person, surely would have been blessed because he came back bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the fruit of his labor by the power of the Spirit. Well, short time later, plague, and he became very ill. And he thought, I'm going to be the next one. He said, I was not afraid. God miraculously healed him. And for the next 50 or 60 years, he went all over preaching the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of people were born again genuinely. Revival broke out everywhere, from the factories to the stores, in the churches. Dead people were revived in the churches, spiritually dead people. Well, during his massive campaigns, as it came to be, there were some brothers, if I remember correctly, brothers Arthur Tappan and another one. And I'm thinking that they may have something to do with the Tappanzi Bridge. I'm not sure. But these brothers, he said, they were wealthy. And he said they financed out of their own heart the campaigns, revival campaigns. Gladly gave money. And he said, uh, I, I observed them. He didn't have very close contact with them. He just know, he knew that they stepped up for the kingdom of God to gladly give generously for the campaigns. Whatever tent they needed to erect, whatever they need to do. Uh, rent halls, big halls, huge places. And he said, it's a very wonderful thing he said observed. He said, every time I turn around, they keep getting richer and richer. And he said, this is what I observed. They had these huge houses and they constantly opened the houses up for all the downtrodden in the city to come have a wonderful meal. Their own homes, their mansions. Gladly fed them and clothed them. Meanwhile, funding the gospel ministry campaigns too, the revivals. And he said, every time I turn around, they're getting richer and richer. The liberal person shall be enriched, but he waters shall himself be watered. The people who curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is upon the head of him who sells it. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor, but he who searches after evil, it shall come upon him. Depends on what we seek. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Let no one's security be bound up in their bank account or their property, their assets. The world will tell you that. This is how much you're worth, not God. God says, my estimation of your true worth is how near you are to me, how much you love the treasure of treasures, my word. Because I will take care of you. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you're the richest person in the world. Everything you need will do what? Follow you. Hallelujah. How many of us can testify to that? Glory be to God. 
God never shortchanges. He can never be outgiven. He is a generous Father, wonderful God. He who leans on, trusts, and is confident in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish like a green branch, green leaf. He who troubles his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is what? Genesis and Revelation. A tree of life. We talked about this earlier. In another day. When we serve God and we love God, allow the Holy Spirit to change us, we are really living. When we live in Christ, abide in Him. He said, abide in me and you bear fruit. I'll make sure you bear fruit. That fruit will be a source of life to other people. A veritable tree of life. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of impact on your family and your relatives in your city and country and the world? Really be a light that is set on a lampstand. Giving light to all who are in the house. Hallelujah. And he that winneth souls is wise. Seek first what? Career, promotions, benefits in this life through materialism. Rubbing shoulders with those who are in the know, in the know-how and rich, popular, powerful has high positions in society God says that's not how I see as a winner the one who's a winner who's after souls is the one who's after souls to bring into my kingdom that's wise because you'll have eternal riches and Jesus said when the apostles said Lord what are we going to get we left everything Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever has left houses and family and different people for my sake and the Gospels, the priorities shift. I'm after pleasing God and pursuing souls to bring them into the family of God with everything that's in me by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. God says, that person is wise. Many people in the world say, you know, a wise person invests in that which will give the richest yield and dividends long term. Who wants short-lived success? Here today, gone tomorrow. You make a wise decision on what you invest. You want to know that's going to have lasting value and returns that are much more than what you invested in the first place greatest investment a human being can make is in the kingdom of God to make it their ambition godly ambition to bring souls to Jesus while they themselves follow Jesus behold the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth much more the wicked and the sinner behold the righteous shall be paid back rewarded in the world 
How much more those who do evil? God will make sure that they get paid back too. The good news is wicked and sinful people such as I was and you were. The grace of God has appeared to us like the star in the sky when the wise men followed it. All of a sudden glory. What rejoicing. His guidance. Guidance is available out of this mess of my own sinful lifestyle. God has given me His Word. He's spoken to me. Now I know the way out. Thank you, Lord. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It was dark. It was scary. My own sins and wickedness, malice written all over my face, spiritually full of leprosy and bondage, going in a vicious circle, biting and devouring and being bitten and being devoured. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring my dignity as a human being made in the image of the Most High God. To be a person of peace and love and forgiveness, holiness, true prosperity, riches that will never fade away, an inheritance incorruptible and unfading, a royal child of God. That's who you are. That's who God has made me by His grace. We're all at the banqueting table of our Father for breakfast every day to eat of His Word. May we retain it, digest it, let it do its work in our lives and change us to the glory of God. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for keeping us on point, Lord, with your truth. Lest anyone should get distracted or confused, I thank you that your Word is there as the bar, the measure, the standard, the gold standard, the only standard real life and real satisfaction. Oh, thank you, Lord. I have a peace. And the world did not give and the world cannot take away. We have such a peace from Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for lifting us out of our burdens, Lord. And even those burdens people are facing today, oh God. The burdens that we all face, Lord, in different degrees, in different areas. Oh Lord, you are sufficient to lift us out of it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. Cleanse us, I pray, and help us to pursue you, Father, with everything that's in us. Do your perfect will. To be the brightest lights we can possibly be, Lord, on the side of heaven, for the glory of God. I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.